Welcome to the 94th episode of the No Degree Podcast. This week's story comes all the way from France. Today's guest is Luca Badu. Luca's mom was a teacher, so education was important to their family. He started college, but dropped out after three months. His mom didn't object, but there was one catch. He had to get a job. From struggles with his mental health to being steered down the software engineering path because of an online game, in this episode, he shares his story. Listen in to learn more. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Every sub is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today's guest is Luca Badu. And he'll give a brief intro. But before that, make sure you subscribe, like, share this episode with someone you know. It will really mean a lot to me and it'll really get the message out. So, hey, Luca, can you kind of give a brief intro of yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for inviting me. Um, so my name is Luca. Indeed, uh, I am uh, another person without a degree <laughs> who's made it to the sort of tech scene. Uh, I've been working in startups for the best part of the last 10 years. I'm currently working at Spendesk. So French, uh, French unicorn. We have many right now, but it's uh, one of the last ones. Um, and I'm leading engineering over here. I've been I've been in engineering most of my career, and right now I'm leading a I'm leading a seventy-ish people team. Um, I've been been there for five years. That's cool. Now, did you ever think you would end up in a position like this? No, really. I, I thought I would be the CEO rather than the <laughs> the head of engineering. I've always, when I was a child, I was looking at Iron Man on TV. I uh, always liked Tony Stark. I don't know why, but he was like this sort of billionaire CEO who does whatever he wants. Seemed like a good job to me. So uh, would I have been, would, would I be like an employee? I would probably have said no. Uh, but then, yes, as my, as my career started to to go on and on, and as, as a dev, yeah, I picture myself in a sort of management position. Didn't think Spendesk would offer the opportunity for me to uh, uh, grow that much and have a team that's that big this fast. But um, yeah, it was definitely in my mind to... Uh, Manage people. I've always, always been a people person. Okay. So how was high school like for you? Oh, man. Um, so I, in France, we say lycée. It's like basically the, like you go to, we go to college uh, when we are like 12. Whereas in the US, people go to college at like 21 or something. Um, so we go to college and then to lycée. And, and lycée, which is the equivalent of high school, was um, just the moment where my brain wasn't enough anymore. Like basically at, at, college, middle school, when you like just, you know, I didn't have to work, right? Things were just, I was figuring them out. I was having good grades, uh, going through without working that much. But then high school was like the moment where you need to work uh, because you can't like, I wasn't a genius at math, but even if you're a genius at math, like you need to learn some things. Um, so you started work, not working anymore, but I, I really disliked anything that consists of learning things by heart and studying books and learning things I was interested in, something that was very, very hard for me. Um, and so high school was a, a very rough period. Chose that moment as well to have my like teenager crisis, you know, like your parents are saying oh, everything wrong and it's just, it's just, you don't want to work. You just want to party and, and do stuff. I started smoking, um, <laughs> you know, lots of mistakes at the same time. So it was definitely a rough, rough period for me. Long, rough period of three years. Yeah. You said it was a rough period of three years. Now, when did it stop being rough for you? I don't know how it works in the US, but in, Fran in France, we have the, the, that big exam at the head of high school that is called the BAC, uh, B-A-C. And it's, uh, the BAC is basically the final exam for everyone who is going through school, like normal school, before you go into university or anything. 
and that's basically the the it's not a degree but it's like a diploma that's going to help you just uh, go to the university basically um and so i remember having a conversation with my mother um in 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 last year of high school which was like she was like you're very bad you're being very annoying right now i hope for you you have your back so you have your final exam and then you do whatever you want because otherwise next year for you is going to be a very hard year, right? Because she will want me to study and she will steal my computer and I won't be able to party anymore or whatever. Um, and so basically it was like, uh, I had to put everything on one <laughs> uh, piece that was the back, basically. Um, I was very lucky. I got a lot of uh, like, because I didn't, I didn't work that much, but I got a lot of luck on the, like, I don't know, there was some cheating going on in math. And so they gave everyone a good, a good grade and, there was another one in, in sciences. And so I got a good grade as well. Um, anyways, and I got my bag. And so basically it started being annoying for me as soon as I got that diploma, because the diploma then helps you go into high school, university, whatever, which I went to for a, a brief three months. Uh, and then I realized it wasn't for me. And that's when I started like sort of accepting that maybe I could go work directly and go to my life directly without getting any degree or any bachelor, master's, whatever. And my mother was very understanding of that. She told me like, okay, you want to quit? No problem. You find a job, you can quit. And, and when, you're when you know my mother, this is really motivating for you to find a job, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what type of, what was your first job that you got? Um, it was so, I was, I was a tennis teacher from 15 years to 20 years old. Um, sort of assistant teacher at first and then actual coach. Um, I wanted to do that with my life. At that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to stop. Maybe I'm going to do tennis my whole life. I, I, I like the outdoors part of it. I'm um, like my parents are teachers. So it's a, sort of a, uh, I don't know, continuation from, from everything. But then I started talking to my, my own coach and I was like, I want to train high level athletes, like professional athletes. But um, he told me like, uh, unfortunately, you're too bad. Not bad at coaching, you're bad at tennis. And I was like, I'm not bad at tennis. And I was like, yes, compared to Federer or anyone you want to coach, you're bad. So it's either you start playing for four years and, and you put everything you have into that money, time, like four years of your life when you're 20, like, no, I was 17. It's, it's like a lot of time. And, uh, <laughs> um, or, or you just stop and, or you don't, you don't become a, a high level coach. Like you become a, a club coach, like a normal coach, like, like any other coach. Um, so I had a big thinking with myself. Um, and it was like, no, I can't do that. That's, that's too much money. I don't have that kind of money. My parents don't either. So I started um, looking at other opportunities. I was um, I was playing a game online back then, but I didn't like playing it. I liked the sort of forum and discussion part of it a bit more. And I was sort of managing the game at the same time. And to manage the game, you have to do a little bit of coding because you have bugs. And anyway, you have some sort of credibility to, to have. And so I was starting to learn PHP back then and a little bit of JavaScript. And it was really early, but starting to do that. And so I sort of made my way into coding naturally by uh, faking it for my first job. My mother introduced me to someone who was looking for a software engineer to work on a website. Uh, and I said, yeah, I am a software engineer, no problem. They didn't do a technical test or anything. They just hired me straight away for a very bad salary. Now I know, but, but back then I didn't know. And it was like my first job. It was a four-month mission um, for the National Center of Scientific Research, which is a public thing in France. Uh, where I had to uh, build a website for a climate organization in Greenland so that they could communicate with the French people and post like sort of documents and papers online and send, send files. I mean, it was a fun ride, but then you have to learn, right? First job, 
how'd you learn like initially? Like, because back then it's not like today they have free code Academy and they have all these things. Like you just go and you, so, so much easier to learn. How'd you learn back then? You know, it's funny because I, I'm the kind of kid and, and still the kind of adult that doesn't read the notice before I do anything. Like I, I have a new camera and I'm trying it rather than reading the paper. I'm doing it with everything. Uh, sometimes it's bad. Like when you're just starting to assemble uh, IKEA furniture, <laughs> it's, it's, you, yeah, you should read the, the paper. But um, so I started like that, basically, with a little bit of knowledge from the site du zéro, which is like uh, literally translated, it's the zero website, uh, which was a, a website in France back then. Now it's Open Classroom. It's a big company. Uh, but they, they were writing tutorials, like like very, very long tutorials about PHP and JavaScript and everything. Starting to read that a little bit and then like read for one, I don't know, maybe two minutes, three minutes, and then was starting implementing some stuff. There was a lot of trial and errors, like when you play games or stuff like that. Lots of trial and errors, trying to understand things, clicking on every button, trying everything, then working on Stack Overflow, really losing a lot of time, not not learning the theory. But um, it got me somewhere. Eventually, little by little, you start getting used to practice and you start getting used to look at the look for the answers by yourself. Basically, I was extremely strong at debugging for someone my, with my experience because I, I had just been debugging my whole life, like debugging everything. So it's um, it's how you learn it. Yeah. So how was that first internship? Like, did you do a decent job or no? <laughs> no, no. I I did a very bad job actually. Uh, but I was lucky enough that the website provider that I hosted the website on back then was had a very big security problem. Um, like five months after I left and they shut down everything. And so basically the thing is my website disappeared into nature and no one knew that it was a very shitty, bad website. Like they had problems for two months, three months and then shut down and then no one knew. So there is no trace of my website anywhere. <laughs> but no, I did a very bad job. Like I installed some kind of CMS that wasn't really working and then tried to put some things on top of that. It was really bad, really, really bad. So now what, what was your next job? At that time, it was a little bit of a rough path at my life in my life because I was starting to question what I was going to do. You know, I, I obviously liked coding stuff, but but the environment that I was in, like public environment, uh, government based job, it's like it's, it's in France, it's very slow. It's it was like I don't want to work in an environment like that. And I started questioning things. It was a rough sort of rough period in terms of uh, mental health for me. Uh, and when you are seventeen, it's like uh, you have to process it, right? Being feeling bad and sort of bored out. You see what we call a borrow right now, but back then this didn't have a name. And so I, I basically didn't really look for anything for like a month and just was, you know, sleeping on the couch the whole day and everything. Uh, my parents one day told me that maybe it was time to stop sleeping on the couch uh, and, and look for something. Same thing. I was very afraid of them. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> going to go look for something. And I got an introduction to by a friend. His mother was looking for an engineer and he told me, I know it was luck, like plain luck. And he told me like, yeah, you can get maybe a job, just um, have an interview with my mother. Uh, and back then I was speaking really well. Uh, so, uh, you know, started talking my way into the interview, met the team, had a technical test. I don't know how, but I, I they must have been just as bad as I was. Went my way through the technical test um, and got a job uh, in another public thing, another public uh, like government stuff as a Ruby on Rails developer. And I started learning Ruby on Rails on the side because I didn't want to do a shitty job uh, because it was sort of my boss was sort of important and whatever I couldn't. And that's the moment where I I started like professionalizing. I don't know if you say that a little bit uh, what I was doing. So it was a twelve month job, I think. Well, it was eleven years ago, so yeah, it was probably a twelve month job. 
uh, coding Ruby on Rails. That's where I learned modern web, like building an API, building a front end. I had a team where they were all sort of bad engineers, um, but anyways, sort of uh, good enough to teach me a few things. So I learned front end and sort of, yeah, API, Ruby, deploying your code on a server, doing things the sort of the right way. So it was a, it was a, it was a fun time. I had three hours of commuting every day, which wasn't fun. So 90 minutes each way? It was like one and a half hours each way? Yeah. Wow, yeah, that's tough. It was public transport? The south of Paris to Paris, I had like a bus and then a train and then the metro in Paris and then to walk 10 minutes was awful. And with the sometimes in France, you have strikes and you have like problems with the train. That sounds tough. And Yeah, I was leaving at like 7 a.m. in the morning, like getting back at probably 7.38 at night. And I wasn't working that much. It was just like the, the commute time was very big. And in, in government uh, offices in France, you have to work, like you have to start at 8.30 and you have to, it's like very time-based as a job. So so now, how did you do at this job? So now did you do a much better job? Way better. Yeah, way better. Definitely. Um, I don't know why. I don't know how. Um, but it just, just started making sense. You know, the first job wasn't really making sense. But then I started having a little bit more experience, having seen different things. Having seen other people do the same job as well, started making more sense. Uh, to be fair, I did a decent job. Like the website was good. Uh, I was working on something to manage all the network infrastructure for the building. So it was basically listing all the equipment and everything, and then turning it off and on from the website. So it was um, a lot of Cisco stuff as well. Cisco is a network, big network company. You must know it. No, I did a decent job, to be fair. And I worked a lot. Like uh, It was interesting because there was something concrete out of it, not just research scientists that wouldn't use the website anyway. Um, so it's, it's way more motivating. Um, and I started going more into the theory as well, even though it's not my strong suit. Going more into the theory. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, a, it was a fun time. But sort of the same thing, you know. Sort of colleagues don't really, didn't really like their job. They were going in in the morning and at 9.30, 10 a.m., they wanted to... Uh, Go back home. Basically, that's what they were waiting for the whole day. And I was waiting for, you know, learning more stuff and doing more stuff. And I just enjoyed the job. Um, so it was a little bit hard as well. Like saying, like, I'm not, I'm not going to walk into, into a company like this. Yeah. So now, that, was that the reason why you left? Um, no, it was a fixed time contract anyway. It was like a 12-month contract. So I left. Um, I had another contract like this one, something like a 12-month thing. Um, in a very big company, it was like, oh, score. Like, oh, score is uh, the French for SOS. Um, but I had to manage a bunch of intern there because basically my boss didn't want to manage anyone or anything, didn't know anything about coding as well. Uh, he was some sort of hardware engineer. And he told me like, you're not an intern. They are like interns and apprentices. So you're the boss now. And there were like six people and they really didn't like me because they weren't working and I was working. And so basically people who are not working don't like people who are working <laughs> because it makes them look bad. And so, you know, I was still very junior and everything, but I had to learn like management at the same time as I was learning coding. And it was a fun time, but same thing. Didn't want to do the job. And then I moved to startup, like the startup world, um, sort of make a shift in my career. Now, how was the startup world? Now, were you more excited? Were you happier? Oh, so much. I, I remember I was watching a YouTube video of a guy. I didn't know that existed. I knew about startups like Facebook and stuff, but I, I always thought it was like some kind of, I don't know, Silicon Valley thing. I don't know. I stumbled upon a video on YouTube. It was a guy named Usama in France. Uh, they were starting some kind of um, incubator slash fund that was named The Family. Sounded a bit like a, a sect. I don't know how you say a, a sect, but a, some kind of thing with the guru guy and everything. <laughs> 
And, uh, but it was really interesting. And he was telling you like, he was telling about the stories of Airbnb and Facebook. And he was explaining about like how to build a startup, how to build your own company. And he was uh, talking about French companies. And I was like, that's, that's a thing. Like there is something in Paris where you have companies working together with like a small amount of people really focused on building a good products. And it's, it looks really fun. And I, I met someone uh, on Twitter, I think. They were looking for a freelancer. It was a company named Zenly. was acquired by Snapchat a few years back. And they, they were uh, building some kind of real-time localization uh, platform for people. Didn't really work in France because we were a lot about privacy already back then, but it worked in the US uh, and with teenagers. And uh, yeah, they, they gave me an offer for like, it was 450 euros a day, I think, at the time. And I was paid 1,500 a month at my company. So it was like a no-brainer. I was like, I, I can really make 500 euros a day. <laughs> like, what nonsense. And so I, I switched. I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go for startups. Started being a freelancer, all new thing for me, building your own company, sending invoice at the end of the month, having your own money, your own card for the company. It was just like, wow. New world. Yeah. So how, uh, how now you're making this money? Like how how did things change for you? Uh, not that much, to be fair. Things changed in a way that I discovered that there was a world I was enjoying working in. Didn't stay long in the mission. It was like a three-month mission and then they didn't need me anymore. So I switched, take, took another mission. I took three or four before joining a company full-time. Um, but basically back then I was uh, still living at home with my parents. I was like 19. So I was living at home with my parents. Um started to think about leaving, but it's very hard in Paris to find a flat if you don't have a full-time contract. Like as a freelancer, it's very, very hard, especially when you're 19. They will look at you like, what? You're, you don't have a degree. You haven't worked. Like, what? What, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? How, how do you make that money? <laughs> you're selling drugs. Um, and so my life didn't really change, except that I was extremely rich for someone who was living at home. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I just put a lot of money on the side. I wasn't spending anything back then. I didn't. I, I had a car, but it was a really cheap car, uh, and my friends were all studying. Uh, so no, not doing anything. Just uh, just working a lot. I was working like I don't know from nine to like ten or eleven at night. But it wasn't hard. Like it wasn't. I wasn't counting the hours. It was just fun. On Sunday, I was working. I was just waiting for Monday for it to be Monday so I could work, and and my mother wouldn't be like. You're walking on a weekend. <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool. So now looking back, what did you do to get ahead and get successful? I don't know if I got successful, but let's 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 say that let's assume that I got successful by having a freelance job. I think one of the things that I have is I am um you know we we were pushing at, at a point there was a big push for the lean startup world, you know, and, and like you have to iterate a lot on your startup and you have to push things out and I think I'm a sort of a early adopter with life. So I, I tend to try a lot of things like I do with the, you know, I don't read the paper. I just go on with the camera. Same thing in life. I, I tend to try a lot of more things and I course correct really fast. Something I learned back then was like, you don't lose anything by trying. Like just, yeah, fake it. You fake that job and you go for the job. And I mean, what, what, what can go wrong anyways? If they fire you, they fire you. That's fine. You have a home. I was living at my parents. No problem. Yes, it's sad, but that's okay. Um, you want to manage the interns. They don't like you. Fine. What can happen? They won't like you. They don't like you already. You know, that's thinking that way and being like, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. And then once you try having that sort of, you know, grit for success where you want, you don't want to fail, right? I'm very competitive in sports as well and everything. 
it's like I'm okay to lose if I have um, had a good fight. Like I'm, I'm running, I'm doing trail running and everything. If I do a good race, but I'm losing, that's, that's very fine. But if I do a very bad race because I haven't trained enough, I'm going to be very angry at myself. It was basically these two things. You try a lot of things and then you have that sort of competitive mindset, which I didn't choose. Huh? It's not something I force. It's just something I have where you, you want to make sure that you've pushed everything as far as you could. And then if you fail, it's not your fault. Like you can't blame yourself for failing. I think it's probably the two things that I did and that made people realize that I was doing things, degree or no degree, because I had a lot of questions. Like, you're very young, you're 18, how can you know a job that people that are 30 are doing? Um, and you're like, just, just let me try it. You know, I've done this, I've done that. You can call that person, they're going to recommend me. How is it for people without degrees in France? Like 13 years ago, um, people with no degree were just, usually they, they were just, you know, not considered at all. Right. Right now they are considered, but people with degrees are still on top of the list, if you see what I mean. Before it was just like, no, don't want to talk to that person. Now you talk to them, but you're like, eh, not sure. Because if that, if that person doesn't have a degree, they, they are not good at working hard. Um, they are not smart enough. They have like, whatever. Uh, they are lazy. So I think in France, and especially in France, the government itself is, um, is pushing for studies. Like we have a, a ministry of, uh, universities, basically. They are just here to manage like people who are going into school. We are pushing them. Like I remember in high school, our math teacher, the first day they told us like, hey, uh, we are in a very good high school, very good school, uh, good reputation and everything. We have a preparatory school. So in France, it's basically once you have your dipl first diploma, you can go into preparatory school to get into the best schools. It's like you go to Polytechnique, you go to, and then you go to Stanford in the US and everything. And that's what she told us. Like, you are going to be the elite of this nation and you're going to be amazing because you're in my class. And so you're going to go to uh, your preparation class later and then to the best universities in the world. And you were like, I, I don't want to do that. I wouldn't want the government to be pushing for people to get a diploma. Like you get a degree if you need a degree, you get a degree if you want a degree, but you don't have to get it. I'm the proof. And so many people in my teams are the proof that you can just make it without it. But it's, it's still... It's getting better, but it's very slow to get better. That's why I enjoy talking to you the last time. Because I, I feel like some people need to speak up about it. Yeah, I, I okay found in, have a degree. in general, the startups have always been forgiving. Because the startups are like, all right, we need something done. You can do it. Good. Whereas big companies are like, ah, we got a lot of people, you know. You know, big companies are sponsoring your MBA. You don't learn anything in the MBA. The only thing you get from the MBA is network. This is really what you get. If you're a strong professional. Uh, but it's not useful for many companies because network can also get you a job elsewhere, right? They force you, they pay for you to get an MBA if you want whatever director or senior vice president position. <laughs> and then, you know, the thing is, especially now, you can network online. Like, right, we got an intro yeah. from someone online, you know? Yeah, exactly. You were in a podcast, we got an intro, fine. We're and here. then especially <laughs> now on Twitter, LinkedIn, all these things, right? If, again, it takes effort, but so easy, so much easier to network. And yeah, it's one of those things like I've seen a lot of people, they're like, oh, MBA, it's not even what you learn. Because look, you can buy all the books, right? You can yeah. read all the books, you can get all the slides. And a lot of times the professors just teach off the slides and it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and you have so many people who are extremely good at their job and will be happy to talk to you for 45 minutes if you have the right set of questions. Some of them even twice. I, I'm, I'm, I'm often helping some younger CTOs and that are starting and I'm, I'm happy spending 30, 45 minutes with them for free. Just if they have the right questions prepared, that's, that's fine. But you, meant, you mentioned about startups that we were, startups were more forgiving. That's probably true. But there is something about like unconscious bias where 
some people are just biased towards the, you know degrees. They're going to look for specifics on LinkedIn. And so they're going to reach out to people that have been to Polytechnic, that have been to Stanford, to Harvard, or they're going to prioritize them on a call. And so when they get the phone call, they already want to hire that person, whereas someone without a degree, yeah, you know, they're going a bit backwards. Yeah, so. they give you the harder questions. You got to prove yourself and all that. So you have a tougher You have role. way more interviews and they call you back only one week later because all of the degrees candidates are bad. And it's just, yeah, you always end up last. This episode is sponsored by the True Underdog Podcast with Jason Waller. Looking for a raw and real podcast with a CEO that has his company on a path to becoming a billion-dollar business? Well, look no further. Check out the True Underdog, hosted by Jason Waller, CEO of Power Home Solar. You will hear the uncut detail of the world's most influential people and their upbringings. His show has featured guests like Shark Tank star Kevin O'Leary, top podcaster Jordan Harbinger, former drug trafficker Rick Freeway Ross, NFL legend Barry Sanders, real estate mogul Grant Cardone, and many more to bring you inspiration. Raised in a trailer park with no clear path to success, kicked out of high school multiple times, and faced with becoming a father in his teens, Waller is the definition of a true underdog. As Waller will tell you, there's no elevator to success. That climb only happens one step at a time. You will learn how to turn excuses into results by doing if you need even more reason to listen to the podcast, here they are. You will hear an incredible underdog story from some of your favorite celebrities. The No Degree Podcast is all about learning from underdogs. Excuses get the best of us, but by listening, you will learn how to turn excuses into results by doing. You will gain motivation to achieve your professional and personal goals. You will hear the raw and uncut details of the world's most influential people and their upbringings. And the number one reason to support Jason's podcast is that Jason does not have a degree. So are you ready? for the fastest growing entrepreneurship and motivational podcast because Jason Waller is building a movement. Let every true underdog podcast be that step that elevates you. Subscribe to True Underdog Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform to level up your life. That's True Underdog Podcast hosted by Jason Waller to learn from the best underdog come-up stories. It's right here, right now. Bam. Now, what were some mistakes you made along the way? Wow, so many. <laughs> um, one mistake I made, um, and that's, I'm still making it sometimes, but I didn't ask for enough money at the beginning um, because you, you feel bad, you know, yourself. You, you feel like an imposter, right? You don't have a degree. You don't have the experience. You're young. And so I came into my first job and, and I was like, I asked for like 36K euros back then, which in Paris was the out of school salary. But I had, three and a half years of experience already, right? But it was the out-of-school salary. Uh, and the guy, for instance, gave it to me really uh, quickly and then considered me as a junior guy uh, for at least six months, right? Before realizing that I was actually more senior than that, just because he gave me 36K and I accepted it. He put me in a, in a sort of, you know... Yeah, bucket. I don't know how to say that. Bucket. In a bucket. Yeah. yeah, in a junior people bucket. And... Um, I think that's, that's the start of many stories that I had, many life things that I had. It's like I underpriced myself, whether it was by the money I asked or by the how I explained my career, how I explained everything I have done before, tend to shorten things and tend to undersell it just because I didn't want people to think I was overselling it because I had no like degree and I was very young. And when I joined Spendesk, it was the funniest conversation of my life. I joined Spendesk. They made me a very like very decent offer back then for France, 
but I was already cutting my salary by half because I was moving from the UK. And I remember the CEO calling me back after that because he'd received my ID card and I was like 23. I received my ID card and, uh, and he told me like, oh, I'm sorry, but we are transparent with everything at Spendesk and you are so young that I feel like when the team are going to see your age, they are going to complain that you are paid too much. And I'm extremely worried about that, even though I think you should be paid that much. And it's the first time in my life where I decided like, no underselling, you know, it's already less than what I was making. No, like everything in my body wanted to accept it and be like, okay, okay, that's, that's fine. I don't want people to be pissed, whatever. But I was like, nah, <laughs> not good. I'm not going to reduce it. I think that's where I started learning, but it was a big mistake. Like you should, I was paid 1,000 euros a month at the beginning, whereas I was doing the job of people paid three or four times that. So uh, underselling was definitely a mistake. It's okay. Because you learn stuff and eventually things get consolidated, but uh, it's better to under yourself, undersell yourself when you're young, living at home, and you're learning as opposed to when you're older and you have more responsibility. Yeah, but people people manage free or cheap things differently. Like if you like if you ask if you help someone for free, I've been doing that a lot. Like if you let's say you make an intro to someone for free, right? You make a good intro to them. Sometimes they are not answering because they don't care. Whatever. Oh, you've made a good intro, but you've made the intro for them. Um, but if you make them pay, they're going to answer the introduction because unconsciously they have, yeah, they're paying, they're paying for you. They are paying for your help. And so they want your help, right? So it's both ways, it's both for you and also for the, 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 the way they look at you and the way they're working with you. So now you've been in the industry for some time, right? Tech has evolved crazy. You know, it just, it's changed so much and it's continually changing, right? Like back cloud has grown so much, a lot of different aspects. So how has the industry changed in your mind over time? Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned cloud because when I was working for the Ministry of Works in France, uh, we had the, so the whole unemployment benefits websites were run by servers that were under my desk. That was very funny. Yeah, they were like 20, like 2003 servers, Windows 2003 um, servers running just behind my desk. Plugged, I could unplug them. And the whole unemployment benefits for France would be down. Wow, that's <laughs> crazy. Fun. Yeah, that's crazy. And they were in a very big project to virtualize that and move into the cloud, but it was taking years. So, <laughs> um, Anyways, how it has evolved? Ah, that's, a, that's a hard one. Um, I think talent talent has evolved. Like the way the way talent is spread across the globe and the way you, you're paying talent. I'm, I'm referring to money again, but it's not really about the salaries anymore, but it's more the... The price of talent right now, like it's, it's a talent war for tech. Before it was hard to find a good engineer, but companies didn't really have the money to get a lot of them, right? So Google and Facebook would get most of them and then small companies would, you know, be able to hire. But the, the industry has moved into a thing where there are still very few, very strong people. These people are getting more and more expensive and, and, and just more and more employed. So rare, very like it's really unusual to find someone strong unemployed. And because so many people are seeing the, the, the golden, you know, the, yeah, the money, a lot of people are actually going into this, but they are not trained correctly. They are not having the right job. They are going through school, but they are not really interested in the job. And it's, it's a passion job. Like being an engineer, being in tech, it's a passion job. If you're not passionate, you're not going to learn, right? Um, and so we are having a, a consolidation of the market where we have very few, very strong people paid insanely expensive salaries. Uh, and then we have a lot of people that are like average at the job because they don't really like it and they don't really want to do it, but they went into that because it was like the easy way to make money. Uh, and it's very hard for junior people to go into, you know, the job because 
People are looking for experience. They are looking for age. They are still looking for degrees. And so when you're a junior person, you're going to be in competition with average people who have five years of experience. And it's going to be very hard for you to get above the crowd, right? So it's very hard for strong juniors to get ahead right now. So I think there is a very big consolidation of the market. And on the industry side, like the tech industry side, I think things have just gotten easier. So it's the same thing. It's easy right now to spawn a new virtual machine in the cloud or get your website online. Like I was building a website for a side project that I have the other day on, uh, I don't know, it's Useflow or something like that, the name of the website, I don't remember. Is it Webflow? No, no, it's not Webflow, it's something else. Um, and, and it's just really easy. You build a website in like, I don't know, like five minutes and you build a professional looking website. It looks like a startup, really. And it took me five minutes and I was like, what? And so everything just got so simple that everyone can claim they are engineers right now. Everyone can claim I, I can build a website. Whereas back then, <laughs> you had to build the website yourself. Like it doesn't wouldn't work. So I think this has just led to a very weird market where there are very strong people, insanely expensive. A lot of other people, some of them don't really like it. Some of them are sort of using and faking it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's very hard to navigate at the moment, especially if there is a big talent war. Like at Spendesk, we need to hire a lot of people as well, like other companies. It's just very hard to navigate right now. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely changed because I, and just like you said, I see so many people who choose this job because they, they see, their parents say this is a good job. It makes a lot of money. But again, if you're not going to code, you're not going to learn outside on your free time. You're just not going to get better, right? Yeah, you know. I compare it to a teacher job. I com- I'm comparing it. Um, my mother, she's been a teacher. I don't understand how she has done that. But every day she was moving back from school at home. She was going for a run. And then she was uh, sort of grading all the papers. But it was like two hours, three hours sometimes. And every day she was doing it with the same, uh, you know, attention and, and energy. And she's been doing that for 40 years. I, I could never have done that. That's not, that's, not a, that's not my passion, but it's hers. And developers, same thing. If you don't go at home at night, and I don't want to shame people who don't feel like they have the energy to go home at night, but it's true. If you if you want to be really strong at the beginning of your career, you have to go home at night and still be willing to do some coding. I have so many side projects. They've never been on, on the internet. No one has ever used them, but I have so many of them just because I liked it. I like writing code. I especially like things around analytics and charts and data and that's okay, but you learn by doing them. So if you don't have the patience for that, yeah, maybe you, you'll do a decent job, but you will never do a great job. I don't believe in it. No, I, I think so too. Now, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment? And I wouldn't say it's work-related. Yes, that's, that's, it's okay. That's the thing. Um, it's, um, I think by, by having the job I had, uh, you have the opportunity to take a step back on many things. And one of the things I've uh, taken a step back on is sort of my self-awareness understanding where you're good, where you're not good, um, and sort of be happy with what you have. I would say that's not an accomplishment per se, but reaching the level of consciousness about myself that I have right now, meaning that I know where I'm not strong, I know when I'm correct, and I know where I'm strong, and I'm able to use these, I'm also able to accept that some people are way better than me in some things, and to leverage them in 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 my everyday job. Like, I'm, I'm very bad at organizing things. Like, it's really... I'm bad at it I too. can organize... Ah, well, it's, a, it's just very hard. It's not natural for me. I'm, I'm a people person. I talk to people. I create trust. I, I, I have the, the, I have a, I'm a people leader, sort of. Don't ask me to do a very big spreadsheet with like the calendar and the dates and the, the, the project list. I don't know how to do that. I'm very bad at doing that. Um, 
But it's the same thing with other stuff. Like I'm not the best technical experts about Node.js. Like even though I would like to make every architectural decision because you want to control everything, I've accepted that I'm not the best one in my team. And I think that's probably the thing I'm the most proud of or the most happy with. It's like, I feel, and if, I think in 10 years, I'm going to tell you, oh my God, I didn't know anything. Uh, but I feel like I've reached a point in my life where I'm comfortable with the things I'm bad at and I'm happy with the things I'm good at. And my uh, middle school teacher, my last one, told me happiness is to know your limits and to like them. And, and I think that was a good sentence back there. I don't know if he did it on purpose or anything, but I had a tendency to always want more and everything. And I've, I've, yeah, I'm, I'm feel better about that right now. So I would feel that's a, probably the best thing that my career has given me. It's the ability to take a step back about things. No, I think that's so important because a lot of times, you know, you have everyone saying you can do anything you want. You can do anything you want. But, you know, here's the truth that we cannot be like, what is it? Who's the tennis player? Federer? Yeah, we can't be Federer. Like, we could try no, every I, day. I, could, I couldn't be Federer's coach. Yeah. I could try it as much as I want and I, as hard as I want. I wouldn't be. And I would be sad if I still thought I would be. And, you know, you learn that by management is a great way to learn that because you start looking at people. And you start sometimes, because you have empathy, you know, for people. And so you start seeing, looking at yourself like you're them. And you're like, oh, I was doing that. I was doing the same thing he is doing. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns, stress, changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel like we're taking a few steps back. And it's important to show up for yourself through all of the struggles that life can bring. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Now, therapy is something that has a stigma, but this is something that can have a great impact on your life. Sometimes we have things that stop us from becoming the best version of ourselves. Therapy is something we should embrace and not be ashamed of. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online, and the service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You can schedule a weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you do with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp is a great way to show up for yourself and invest in your well-being because, well, you deserve some inner peace. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash no degree. That's better, H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for the No Degree podcast listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp dot com slash no degree that that was me and so you realize like oh i need to change some stuff or you see yourself you know you see them in yourself sometimes you're like oh he did it like he did it last week he did the same thing last week and i told him it was bad like i don't i can't do it myself right um so it's uh no, it's definitely a good thing but it's uh, sometimes it's hard like realizing i wouldn't be a high level tennis teacher like it took a hit. Like no, it's always a hit to your ego because you have this dream, you have this thing, you're gonna make money, you're gonna do all this, and you know reality kicks. But you know, eventually you realize, and at least you tried, and you leave 
you lead a lifestyle where you're active and um, you still play tennis? No, I'm, I'm not playing tennis anymore. It's very hard in Paris. I still play occasionally, but it's very hard in Paris. I went into a trail running and, and biking right now. Uh, and you know, one thing I was thinking about when you said like, you have to break your ego to move and forward and everything. I'm, I'm injured currently, my, my right leg anyways. Um, and I was with the doctor the other day and she told me like, we need to break. So basically my body fixed itself, but it fixed it, it fixed itself badly. And so we need to break it again so that it will, uh, and, and then fix it correctly, like help my body fix it correctly. And that's the ex exact same thing with ego and, and trial and errors and, and iterating on your life and everything. It's just, you have to, sometimes you have to break things so you can rebuild it the right way and with better foundations. Um, and that's basically what you need to do as a no, no degree person. It's like, just try it, take the, okay. Take the hit, <laughs> put your ego on the side, and then rebuild your rebuild a bit, sort of a better version of yourself. What would you say was the hardest period of your life, looking back? Probably the the two years um, when I, I I did three months at university and then I quit because like no, <laughs> um, the th two years after that when I had I had jobs but I, I didn't really like the jobs. Yes, I was into coding but I was still living at my parents and everything, which is fine. I mean, I was nineteen, so you. It's normal to live at your parents when you're 19, but I was I was sort of in a hurry just because I wanted my independence. I wanted to live by myself. Um, and it was very hard for me. I was having like panic attacks. And um, and that's weird. You know, when your body starts reacting to things that you don't really understand and you start like being unable to breathe. Uh, I had nausea all the time and it was like, couldn't eat. I lost like 10 kilograms and it was like really weird. And I was the kind of person who's like, I won't go to a psychologist. I won't get... I won't go to therapy. I'm, I'm, I know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> 19, typical 19-year-old. And so um, it was very hard. It was very hard because you just, you just feel like things are not going to be good anymore. You just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I had a very brief period, like two-month period, where I was feeling I was going to die, which is weird. Which is weird. Like it, It's something you don't realize until you actually have that problem where your, your body or your brain feels like you're going to die in the next few days. You're like, I'm not going to plan holidays uh, in July because I'm, I'm not going to be there anymore anyways. And it's just weird. And apparently, uh, it's, it's a um, sort of stress reaction. It's an anxiety reaction of your body because you're feeling anxious. Your body's trying to say it. And that's one of the way he has like sort of paranoia. And this is one of the way he has to sort of symbolize your stress. And I went to a doctor after two years who explained to me all of that and sort of put words on what I had and everything helped me a lot. But it was a very rough period. Like, uh, how, how did it get better? I think that doctor really unblocked some of the things for me. He told me that it's okay, you are actually sick because no one knew what I had. I had many exams and many things. It was like, you have nothing. You're in perfect health. Um, and uh, that guy told me, like, you don't have nothing. You have like chronic anxiety and stress. Whatever the reasons are, you need to dive into the reasons and you need to understand exactly why. But you have this, and that's why your body is feeling that way. You're not sick. You don't have a problem, uh, like a physical problem. You have a mental problem that's making you sick. Um, and just accepting that, like someone voicing the problem and saying that, okay, that's good enough. I went home that day and I was afraid of dying uh, during sports back then. Like I was afraid I was going to do some sort of cardiac arrest, whatever. Yeah, it feels dumb right now, but back then it was really no, it was real. Mind. And so I went for a bike ride. Um, and I, I was like, you know what? That guy told you um, it, it's going to be okay. You don't want to live like this anymore. So just push yourself as you can on the bike. And you'll see. If you die, you die. 
Uh, and it was very serious in my mind. I was just a 19 years old going for a bike ride, but in my mind, it was like very serious about it. And obviously I didn't die, right? And I was going as hard as I could. And after like five minutes, I was like, wow, I'm not dead. So I kept pushing, kept pushing. Uh, I had sore legs the day after and the day after, but that was all. Had me going back. Like it was like sort of starting throwing off them. I had like some um, uh, uh, drugs, like prescription drugs for... Uh, that and everything started throwing them in the toilets and you know starting getting in a new cycle of my life and sometimes I still had crises but I know what they were and I was like patient and waiting for them to pass yeah but it was like that bike ride that doctor telling me it's gonna be okay and that bike ride wow that's yeah, just a five minute bike ride I was a sort of 30 minutes bike ride because when you feel when you realize you can actually push you feel like that sort of dopamine shot joy whatever it's like drugs like you want to push for like 20 more minutes now have you ever felt insecure about not having a degree? I've, I've always, as surprising as it may feel for someone who thought they were dying for like two months, um, I've always feel pretty, pretty, pretty secure about my intellect. I know I can figure things out. Uh, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not Einstein. I'm not great at math or whatever, but I, I figure things out usually. I'm a practical guy and I'm a logical guy. So I felt insecure, but not insecure with my capabilities. I felt insecure in the eyes of the person I was talking to. Like in the job interviews, like I say, I was underselling myself, but I knew I could do the job. I was just afraid that they wouldn't see it and that I would look for a fool or sound like a fool by telling them I knew the job. See what I mean? That's how I felt insecure. Yeah, many times. Still today sometimes because I'm young for my job and sometimes people are going to say, oh, but you're very young for your job and you're, you feel like, oh, he's, he's thinking that I'm not good enough or no, they're just saying you're young. <laughs> How old are you? I'm 28. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, it, the good thing about tech is like, it's common for people to be so-called young, right? Tech is pretty forgiving. Like in other areas, you have to be a certain age, you get a certain title, you need to have this. Tech is like, hey, can you do it? Senior director of whatever, you have to be 45. <laughs> no, so tech is... Tech. But it's... Spendesk as a company is very young. Like it's, it's, it's a company that's just a lot of young people. At least at the beginning, it was like the, the first leadership team when we were like 30. The average age was like 27. I was the youngest, but it was like 27. So it was great. Just very young people trying to figure things out. Yeah. And now looking back, right? How could the education system be improved for someone like you? That's a discussion I've had so, so many times with my, with my mother because seeing me fail, not failing at school because I got my, my uh, back and everything, but uh, reject school. Um, she's realized like a lot of things are um, just broken in the way we, we, we build the system right now. We are, we are teaching people to learn instead of teaching people to think. That's, that's what I believe. Um, in the French ecosystem, the problem is we are not teaching people and, and future teachers, we are not explaining to them how they should teach. They're getting a degree after five years, so they need to have a five years degree because it's very important, right? So um, five years after the back at university. It can be in art or history, history or whatever. It doesn't have to be in teaching. Um, yeah, because it's very important to have a degree in art to teach um, you know, French and math. Basically, you drop them in a school and you talk to a teacher who's in the school right now and you tell them, please, please train them. But the teacher has the class, so they, they cannot spend a lot of time training them. So I think one of the first things we should do is to teach teachers to teach. That's a lot of teaching. Um, but that's the first thing we should do. 
pay them a little bit more because right now you get a, a degree and then you're paid 1,500 euros a month, which is basically the minimum salary in, in Paris. You can't live in Paris with that amount of money. You can have a flat, like it's impossible. Um, pay them a little bit more and then uh, give them some kind of training for one, two, three years, but teach them how to teach um, and how to think and how to make uh, people think um, so we can get more teachers. I believe that would be a good idea. And you can get smaller classrooms where you can adapt your teaching a little bit more to the people, right? Because I'm I'm very different. I was a very smart kid in school. So I was always finished like, I don't know, uh, yeah, first. And then I was waiting, just drawing stuff. But I've, I've always been a very bad artist. So I was drawing shitty stuff. Um, and then if you have a class of like 15 people instead of 30 or even 20, you can adapt way more. You can do more work with the, the students who are, uh, have an easy way. You can do different work with the ones that have a harder uh, journey. Um, so you can adapt a, a little bit more. So for early school, I think that would be best. And then probably removing all the theoretical um, things from the mandatory courses, like teaching people how to think in a logical way, like theoretical math aren't interesting. Applied math are interesting. How do you use math in physics? Or do you use math to, I don't know, calculate percentages? Like you have an Airbnb to divide in five, depending on the number of nights that you're going to go with your friends. That's the math that you use every day. Just apply statistics, probabilities, whatever, to these kind of problems a little bit more. Make everything more practical. Let students decide what they want to work on when they are like 15. Have some kind of mandatory stuff about history, about context, about your country, about geopolitics. That's some things that are very important to have in mind when you go into the world. Teach them English as well um, so that they can speak English and go away. Move them abroad for a year. You know, that sort of things that are more practical um, and internships as soon as you can internships. Yeah, I think that's gonna that, that's important because it, when you're young, you think workplace, you watch TV, you think it's a certain way and then you realize like it's not, it's so different. You learn so many things from a good internship. A good internship, not a bad one. I mean, for a bad one, you learn too. <laughs> Just another thing. <laughs> yeah, you learn the job you don't want to do. You're not like, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy. And I'm not going to do this, <laughs> right? So I'm going to work. <laughs> um, but but still, I think internships and apprenticeships, when done in a good environment, they're an amazing way to learn. Way, way better than five years at school. Definitely. No, definitely. So yeah, that's, I should be. Uh, I should ask uh, Macron to put me as the Ministry of Schools and everything. I would probably do a, a, a less good job than I am expecting <laughs> because it must be much com- more complicated than I'm thinking. Uh, but but still, <laughs> yeah. No, I think you'd do a great job. So now, what advice would you give to 18 year old Luca in modern day, today's age? Right. So with the cloud, all these other things, what what would you tell him? To, uh, to an 18 years old, not to myself 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, so you're, no, no, to, your, to yourself, but you see yourself today because, you know, the times have changed, right? So now, what would you tell them? Uh, I would probably tell myself that there is, there is something else than work on the side of work for the first five or 10 years of your life. And it's actually going to make you better to have something on the side. One of the greatest things I've discovered is training for sports, but for like very hard objectives, like trail running is like, you have to train a lot. Even if you are bad, you need to train a lot. Um, and everything that happens at work is not in your control. There are politics, internal politics. There are decisions that are made by your manager, by your CEO, by your investors, by whoever, the market, right? 
And so even though you pour your, your soul into work and you do as many things that you want, as you may want to do, sometimes things are just not going to work out. But if you have something else on the side, family is the thing, but you, you need something else than family because you don't decide if you can have a family one day or the other, right? You don't decide if you're going to meet a girl or a man tomorrow or the day after. So sport or a passion on the side can be photography, can be videography, can be, I don't know, something else. It's just going to help you if things are going south at work or if things are going south with your family, are going to help you have something where you are in control. If you train more and you train smart, you're going to progress, you're going to improve, right? And having that on the side is just helping offload a lot from your mind. And I've spent a lot of time like sort of stressing about work issues and not being able to sleep. And because I was so wanting my work to, to just, um, I had emissions and I just wanted everything to go right at work. I wasn't like decompressing after. So I would say, yeah, focus on work, but also get time for yourself on the side. Don't work the weekends or don't, don't work as much on the weekends. Um, find something to work for on the side and basically do everything that you do. Just price more. <laughs> Just sell more. <laughs> That's basically what I would say. Let's talk, like, what's the money that people can sort of get, you know, doing some of the things you did today? So I'm only going to talk about tech because I don't know about other things. And it, it may sound like, I, I've been, I know sometimes you can sound like a prick when you uh, mention money and, uh, and VCs and investing and everything because I live in a world right now where uh, there is more money and it's easier to to raise money. And I appreciate that some people, it, it may be a harder time for them. But to be fair, any in France, in Europe, any software engineer that is able to write some code in the correct quality, like six month experience, not more, is probably worth at least 40 to 45,000 euros. No problem or pounds. No problem. I've seen people higher than 70,000 with similar experiences, like one year experiences and, and they were not strong. Um, and as soon as you reach four or five years experience, degree or no degree, you can quickly reach like the 80, 90, 100. If you sell yourself well and you have a good brand on your resume, you can really reach that, these amounts of money. And if you are joining the right companies early, that's something I would recommend to anyone with like three, four, five years experience. I would recommend joining a very early stage company, like when there are five, 10 people as their first senior engineer or their first lead engineer. You're going to get a lot of shares um, because the companies have a lot of interest in you coming on board, maybe 0.5%, maybe 1%. That's what I got from Spendesk, you know, and it was like 10th employee. And you can get a lot of money from the shares if the company succeeds. If it doesn't succeed, you learn a lot, no problem. But if the company succeeds, you, you'll make a lot from the shares. So you get four years experience, you can get 80,000 salaries plus like after five, six years, maybe millions in shares. So it's, uh, there is no reason not to do the job if you're passionate about it and if you're strong at it. And in five years, you can make that much money. <laughs> Whereas with your degree, we'll have to wait five more years to, to make it. So that's also something to keep in mind. If you are not good at school or if you don't like school, it's not mandatory to go into the university thing. If you want it and if you like it, go. Then definitely go. It's going to open a lot of doors. You're going to make good friends. Uh, I have less friends than people who've gone to university because that's where you meet all your future friends, right? Um, so things are harder without the degree, but if you don't feel like you should do, be doing it, don't do it. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. And, you know, it, it's good. I'm glad that, you know, things worked out for you and that you're learning. So what are your future goals? Yeah, I'm still young. Uh, things have worked out so far. <laughs> I've been lucky so far. Um, um, so things for me, I'm, I'm leaving Spendesk um, in the next few months. 
because I've been there for five years. And even though I have a great job and it's like, socially speaking, it's, uh, it's great. Uh, <laughs> um, but I want, I want to start my own thing. Like it's, I think it's time for me to uh, not be a freelancer or anything, just start my own company and try to do it the way I want. Sort of uh, work in a sustainable company where you don't have a thousand sales guys doing a thousand like, cold calls a day and being annoying to people. Like build a real product on a real pain. Um, that you sell through marketing and, and inbound growth and like building a good product, basically like Stripe did or many other companies. I want to try doing that. Maybe I'll fail, maybe I'll succeed, but I want to try and build a company where we have great talents. We don't have too many people. We all know each other and we can, you know, be around the table and have good, good laugh and good jokes and work on something else on the weekend, you know. Um, that's my ambition. So I'm going to do a six month break where I'm going to fix my leg, do the races I have in the summer, and then go back to work to uh, start something. Ah, no, that's interesting. Okay, cool. I'll be following your journey and just kind of see what you end up doing. Now, let's let's try to wrap up. What do you want to kind of talk about? What's something that you want to share that I haven't asked you about already? And probably something around... um, around people. That's something I like to share. Um... Whatever the job, whatever the job you're doing, whether you're a sales guy, you're a tech guy, product, um, whatever, whereas you have a degree or you have no degree, one of the things that I feel like I've done a good job at and has helped me open a lot of doors is to talk to people, but not for work reasons. If every time you talk to someone, it's transactional, basically you need something from them or, or you need them for your work or whatever. The people are not going to create a bond with you. They're going to create a working relationship with you. It can be great, but you don't get anything amazing out of working relationship. You don't get friends. You don't get family. I know a lot of people meet their wife or their husband at work, but it's, it's also important. Um, and you don't create trust for when things will go south because eventually things will go south. As a no degree person, uh, you don't have the advantage of the paper. You don't have the respect that's just earned because you've earned it through your school or your studies or whatever. So what I would suggest to people is spend a lot of time at the beginning talking to everyone around you, asking them questions about your life. Why is it interesting to do a podcast? You're asking me a lot of questions about my life, things that I haven't think about. It's always good to speak about things that you've done, right? Ask a lot of questions to people. What they've done, what challenges they've seen, uh, what they've learned. and even though sometimes the conversation won't be interesting, um, you tend to like the person who's going to ask, ask you a lot of questions. You tend to like the person, the people who are curious and the people who seem genuinely interested into you. And it's going to open to you a lot of doors because your network is going to be so strong from these interactions, way more than anyone just asking questions for work, right? So it's probably something that we haven't mentioned, but it's a good way to get out of the crowd when you start with no degree, nothing. Talk to people. Talk to your manager. Talk to your N plus two, N plus three. You know, the manager of your manager of your manager. I have people talking to me right now and I'm always going to answer, even though they may be like, I don't know, three hierarchical levels. I, I, I like people. I don't feel or think of myself as someone who is like above rich. I'm not. I'm still someone normal, right? Um, and um, yeah, just talk to the boss of your boss. Understand what their job is, what their mission is. They're going to remember you. <laughs> They're going to like you. Um, and it's going to open doors for you. So it's definitely something that I would add. That's phenomenal advice because that's something that a lot of people are too scared to do. Like, oh, boss is boss. What do I say? But they're people too. It's something a, a famous movie star in France, Jean Dujardin, he got an Oscar. He said the other day, he said in, in the movie industry, everyone is uh, uh, thinking of themselves as people they are not. 
Like he, he said, I'm just, I'm just a normal guy. That's why I'm doing shitty movies because I like doing shitty movies and I'm a normal guy. It's the same thing with like the boss of your boss of your boss. When you start, it feels like impressive. But now that I may, I'm the boss of your boss of your boss, I'm like, I'm not impressive at all. I'm just the same guy I was four years ago. Just I manage more people, but it doesn't change anything. You know, I still wake up in the morning, feel bad about my beers <laughs> last night. And, you know, it's, it's just the way things are going. So um, now definitely talk to people everywhere. Below you, on the side, your peers, and, and above you. Talk to the CEO. Yeah. No, there are people. So that, that's phenomenal. What can but, happen? Yeah. He's going to say, I don't have time. That's okay. That's, that's it. fine. He'll, he'll, he'll still remember you. <laughs> yeah. So how would people like support you or reach out to you? I mean, on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm answering to my LinkedIn messages, uh, of course. And um, oh, this is pretty much it. I'm, I'm reading everything on LinkedIn. So don't worry about it. So make sure that when you send... Luca, a message, tell him you listen to the podcast so at least he knows, right? That you you have some info and you have some background info. I, I will like you more straight away. <laughs> so I appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for doing this. I know people got so much info and you gave so much insight. I wish you the best of luck and we'll do part two when you start when you, you know, your next company. Yeah. When I succeed, oh, I fail. Yeah, we got to do it. We'll, we'll... <laughs> so we can get a lot of learnings. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for your time. You have a good one. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J O N A E D, last name I Q B A L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, no degree.com. Yeah. So, you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem? We can solve we them. Got this. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. Growing in the knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.